Now, church, repeat this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I set myself to hide your word in my heart. Heed your word in my life. Build habits from your word. Value your word. Visualize your word. Verbalize your word. Take your teachings into my heart. Treasure my testimonies. Be instructed by your spirit so I can fulfill your purpose for me in the earth. In Jesus' name, I pray expecting. Amen and amen. Well, we want to give honor to those who are here in the audience on tonight. Welcome to Tuesday Empowerment Night. We also want to give honor to those who are watching on our live stream broadcast right now, whether it be Facebook or YouTube. We want to thank you for tuning in to Tuesday Empowerment Night tonight. Uh, we're still in our series, Dynamics of Destiny Relationships. Um, I give honor to Pastor David, um, the senior pastor, the shepherd of this house. In his absence, him and Lady Nedra are getting some much-needed R&R right now. So we praise God for them that they are getting the strength that they need to continue the race of leading us as Destiny Generation into the phases that God has for our life. Also give honor to Apostle Ruby in her absence as she is with um, family right now. Also give honor to Minister Eva Jarrett and to all of you who are here who made the conscious decision to come. And for those who are watching, made the conscious decision to tune in and receive the word on tonight. Somebody say amen to that. So we have three objectives for this series, three objectives for this series um, that we've come up with and that I have for us tonight. And that is number one, to examine the power of the parent to child relationship from a non-parent perspective. So we've been in this series, um, Dynamics of Destiny Relationships. We've been in this series for, I would say, 2017 of November. This, is, has, this has been our weekday, um, midweek series that we've been in. It's just been so good that the Lord hasn't told our pastor it's time to move on yet, so we're still in it. Um, and we've been getting different perspectives. We've been, we've been talking about having a relationship with God, because that's the first most important relationship that you need to have is with God. Um, and then we went to the relationships between a husband and a wife. Now we're in the relationship between children and their parents. And today I'm going to give you my perspective as the one who, who is a child to my parents, but also one who is transitioning into the season of adulthood. So that is the first objective. The second objective is to distinguish the various types of spiritual, natural, and social relationships and their purpose for being from God's perspective. And then number three is to motivate you to be more intentional in your relational roles at every level for relational success. At the end of this series, or even during the series right now, we want you to walk away with something every week as you listen to this word. And even as you go to our YouTube channel, yes, we have a YouTube channel with all of our messages on there. Um, that, is, that is me putting that plug out there for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. So... You can look at all the messages that we've been talking about with Destiny Increase, um, Engaging Increase through Intercessory Prayer, um, and Unleashing the Increase of Faith, and this series that we're in right now, which is Dynamics of Destiny Relationships. We want you to leave and have a sense of awareness during this series that, you know what, I see the things in the Word of God that have been talking about relationships, and I'm going to make it my prerogative to make sure, you know what, I'm going to enhance the relationships that I have with people. Not just the relationships I have with those who are related or blood to me, but also those relationships that I have at work, those relationships that I have within the body of Christ. Because we need, it's God's desire for us to have 
um, successful relationships with one another. We're going to be the body of Christ. You know, different parts, different assignments, but we are one body. The body can function without one member, but one member cannot function without the body. So we need to be tight with one another. Our relationships need to be strong with one another. We need to make sure that our relationships are lining up with the word of God, that it doesn't matter what denominational background that we have. It doesn't matter what skin color we have. It doesn't matter what type of, um, which gender of the two, two genders, of the two genders that we are. It doesn't matter, but that we have right relationships with one another beyond those aspects and beyond those criteria. Somebody say amen to that. So our scriptures, our core scriptures that we've been having for this series is Ephesians 5, verse 31. And I'm going to read that all the way down to verse 33 and then read chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. And it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, one of you in particular so, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents. And this is the key that we're really going to focus on today. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. I'm going to say that one more time. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training admonition of the Lord. And we're going to go to Colossians 3, verse 20 through 21. And similar and parallel to Ephesians, but it does give us um, a, a sort of a sort of a different aspect to it. It says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So in Ephesians, it talked about honoring your father and your mother. You know, we live in a day and age now where in my generation, we're honoring our parents is, is, is now to a point where we, it's, it's, it's not, you don't have to do it. It's kind of to the point where we, we choose whether we're going to do it or not. We, we don't, you know, we kind of say, you know what? I don't have to honor my parents if I don't want to, because I'm grown. I can do that. Well, the Bible tells us that it's a commandment. It's the first commandment with promise that we need to honor our father and our mother. Even if that father and mother is not the ideal parent, that we have wished we would have had, we still need to honor them regardless because they are fulfilling that office of a father or a mother. Now, I'm not saying if that father or that mother hasn't been around and you haven't heard from them in up 10 years, I'm not, I'm not saying you got to be best buddies with them or things like that. I'm not saying you have to see them or call them every day, but you need to honor them still regardless and say, God, you know what? Even though they weren't the best role model or they weren't in my perspective, the best parent, I still love them and I thank you for them because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. So we still, the Bible still tells still tell us, no matter what, I still need to honor my father and my mother. And that if I do that, it will be well with me and I will live long on the earth. And then it also goes on to say, Father, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training in the training, admonition of the Lord. So, we given, remember today, the first objective was, I'm going to talk about the parent-child relationship, but I'm going to give it to you from a non-parent perspective, where fathers, the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children. In Colossians, it said, don't provoke them 
to rap. Don't do stuff on purpose just to make them upset. But train them in the Lord and and, and, in the admonition of the Lord. That's what it says. Somebody say amen to that. So pastor has been talking to us about these eight perspectives of parent-child relationships. We're going to run through them real quick, and I'm going to key in on numbers two through five on tonight. So the first one was children in the eternal plan of God. Number two was children in the womb, babes and sucklings, young children providing, guiding, and directing and correcting. Number five, transitioning children to adulthood. Number six, shifting toward marriage and multiplied family. Number seven, elderly and ailing parents of adult children. And then number eight, planning and preparing for children beyond your lifetime. So the ones we're really going to focus on today is number two, three, four, and five from the non-parent perspective. So children in the womb, number two. And the scripture that I have for that is Luke 1, verse 13. I'm going to read it all the way down to verse 20. And it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Well, praise Jesus for the Johns in the world. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will also go before him, talking about Jesus. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, we're going to elaborate on that, but let's go to number three real quick so we can tie those two together. Number three was babes and sucklings. The scripture I have for that is we're still going to be in Luke chapter one, but we're going to start at verse 57. And it says, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called him. And he asked for a writing tablet, because remember the Lord um, closed up his mouth and made him mute until the birth of his son. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And also all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he, have vis- he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before all the days of our life. And this is really the passage that we really want to focus on. Verse 76, and you, child, talking about John, will be a prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So we learned through these first two where the angel first came to Zacharias and told him that he was going to have a son. And then we learned um, when Zacharias had the son and the son and the son was born and his tongue was loosed, he began to prophesy over his son. See, the power of confession is a very strong it's a very strong aspect during the first couple of years of life because we've learned from these two stages that your confession of your children will manifest whether it's good or bad. Because of this prophecy that Zechariah spoke over his son, verse 80, it says, so the child, talking about John, so the child grew and became strong in spirit. He grew and became strong in spirit. You know, we were, we were told as kids, you know, the way you grow big and strong is that, you know, you eat your vegetables and you, you be active, you run, you play, you do whatever. John grew and became strong in spirit because of the words that his father spoke over his life. I know from my own personal example that once I was born on May 29th, 1998, and they, they, they um, decided that my name was going to be John Davis, my pastor spoke over my life and my parents spoke over my life from that day to this day and probably until I'm, I'm, I'm going off the scene. John chapter one, verse six, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And ever since I was a kid and I came to have a relationship with the Lord, like at the age of four and five years old, I always felt like, you know what? I, I wasn't trying to be cocky. I wasn't trying to be confident or anything like that. But I always felt like, you know what? There's something special on my life. There's, there's a reason for why I'm here. There's a reason that, you know what, I'm not just going to be, um, I'm, not, I'm not just going to be here in life going through the motions and doing this and doing that. But I'm here for a purpose that's going to change the city of Flint, which I love and which I have a burning desire for, but ultimately have an impact on the entire world. Now, I couldn't explain why I felt that way about myself before anybody told me, but I understand now from reading this scripture that it's because there were words, certain words and certain confessions that were spoken over my life while I was in those young years that guided me along to my destiny. They, like, my, my parents, you know, my, my parents are saved, my entire family is saved, but, you know, there's some people who grow up and their parents just say anything about them. Even as, even as a baby, they said, oh, you look just like your dad. I can't stand your dad. Or you just look like your mom. I can't stand your mom. They're speaking negative confessions over their children. Like, you just like this person. You just like this person. So at that point, if we understand that the power of our confession is critical and that the words were framed, not by God, you know, the words were framed by the words 
of God. If we understand that our words have that much power, then if you say he act like this or she act like that, then when they get older, we get all surprised. Like, why are you acting like this? Well, you spoke this over their life at such a young age. That's why we have to be very careful whether we, whether the child came in the, in the situation at the time that we wanted to or not. We have to speak the right confession over that child to steer them in the direction on which the Lord has for their individual destiny. Somebody say amen to that. So that was number three. We talked about babes and sucklings. Now we're going to talk about number four, young children providing, guiding, directing, and correcting. Scripture I have for this, um, and our pastor has given us, is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I understand in, in the phase, in the stage that I'm at in my life right now, I'm, I'm somewhat past this stage right now. And now I'm in this, I'm in this, I'm, I'm in phase five where we talked about um, training, um, tra- transitioning from childhood to adulthood. But I understand that after have going through this phase with young children of providing, guiding, directing, correcting, I can speak and say, you know what? I had a love-hate relationship with that stage. To this day, I still have a love-hate relationship with that stage because everything that came with that stage, I didn't like at the time. But now looking back out, looking back on it, as I'm transitioning into adulthood, I can say, you know what? I thank God that my spiritual parents and my natural parents did those necessary things and because I'm happy with the results that I have right now. So we talk about young children providing, guiding, directing, correcting. So I'm going to give you some natural perspectives from my natural parents on these um, four things, and from my spirit, some perspectives from my spiritual parents on these four things. So we talked about providing. One thing that my parents did is when it came towards providing, they gave me and my four brothers diverse experiences. They gave us diverse experiences. Now, what does that mean? Because when we went to school, everybody in the classroom didn't have the same shade of melanin that I have today. They all didn't look like me. Their hair didn't curl up the way mine did. They, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't jet black like this. It, it, it looked different because I was in. A, I was in diverse circles. They made sure that you know what we're gonna put them in schools, private and public schools, around people that don't that do and don't look like them because the world that they're going into is not gonna be all black. We went to private school. I went to private school. Um, all four of us did, actually. But I went to private school the longest out um, of the four of us. But then once I got, once fifth grade was over, my mom was like, okay, you're going to a public school now. I was like, public school? I don't want to go to no public school. But then she was like, you ain't got to wear uniforms. I was like, well, praise God. Let's go to the public school. Because <laughs> I was tired of wearing the same uniforms all throughout the week. Like, can we mix it up a little bit? But anyway, I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to a public school. But at first, she'll tell you, and she has told people this. Like, you got to let me tell my testimony. Stop telling all that stuff. Like, the first couple of months, I was crying. Coming home from school, I was crying, leaving to go to school in the morning. And I was getting myself sick on Saturday and being sick on Sunday. So I wouldn't have to go to school on Monday. Yeah, I I played the game like that when when it came towards the school. 
because it was such a shell-shocking experience for me at that time because I went to a private school. You know what? Not, not saying that private schools is perfect because there's there's some foolish, foolery that goes on inside private schools, but it wasn't to the magnitude of what I had experienced at public schools. It was a shell shock for me. But my mom said, I was like, Mom, I want to go back to Faithway. She said, no, you can't go to Faithway because the world is not Faithway Tabernacle. It's not Faithway Christian School. Sorry. It's not Faithway Christian School. The world is like public school. The different type of people that you're going to meet, the different type of attitudes, the different, the different type of backgrounds. These are the people you're going to mingle with on a daily basis as you grow up. So there's no point in me keeping you here at this private school and sheltering you the entire time for something that you're, to give you an experience that's not really going to happen in the real world. So it was a, sh- it, it was a cultural shock for me, but it gave me a lot of, um, it gave me a lot of experiences that I'm thankful for today. So we, we had different, we went to private schools with diversity, went to public schools with diversity. My brothers who played in football leagues and basketball leagues and baseball leagues and things like that, with all the leagues we had here in Flint, my parents took them out, them, because I wasn't really an outside type of child. They took them to Mount Morris to do all those sports. Why in the world are we driving all the way out to Mount Morris when there's perfectly good stuff here in Flint because of the diverse experiences? because of the, the, the diversity within those different groups. And we didn't understand it at, the, at that time, but they were providing us with experiences that we were going to need. And then when it came to guiding, you know, our parents guide us and gave us some manners. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, when, when we went out, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't remember a time where a Davis boy or a Davis man as we, as we're growing up, went through a nappy head phase. We didn't do that because mama didn't play that. Every Saturday, we was at that barbershop getting lined up, getting our hair cut. We was shining bright because they would take they would take the Vaseline and scoop it all the way to the bottom and then just apply it to our face. <laughs> now, we wasn't ashy. Praise God for that. We weren't, we weren't ashy, but boy, if you, if you, if you touched us, you was going to slip off because of all that grease that was on our face. So they guided us in those things. And why did and then they, they, they gave us manners and things like that. They they taught us how, um, especially our dad taught us how when you're talking to somebody, you're talking to another man, you know, you shake him, give him a firm handshake, don't squeeze it all hard and try to assert yourself, but give him a firm handshake, look him in the eye and smile and introduce yourself. Those were some of the things that they guided us in as we grew up. And then they also did some directing. They directed us and gave us information and gave us um examples on how to have a relationship with the Lord for ourselves. They, they, we didn't know it at that time, but now we know that they were training us because mom and dad will not always be here. Mom and dad will not always be able to be here, to hear the voice of the Lord, to say, to tell you what he's saying about you in your life. You're going to have to have your own relationship with them to hear what he's saying so he can direct you and guide you because even if we're still here living on the earth, we're not going to be going to every place with you. College, we're not going to be with you. You're at school for six, seven hours. We're not with you. You're going to have to hear the Lord for yourself and have a relationship with him so he can guide you and tell you what to do and things and all truth and all understanding, give you all wisdom and knowledge that you're going to need for the things that you're going to face. And another thing that directed us and 
how to do. You know, this is probably not a big thing to some people, but I recognize that's a, that is a big thing. They taught us, four Davis boys, how to sit still. Now, that's not super deep. That's not super prophetic. That's that's that that some of that that just went over somebody's head. But we're, gro- we're we're growing up in times now where kids just can't sit still. Like there were times where we would be at the house just chilling, and mom would say, "Okay, put the phones up, put the games up, and just sit in your bed and just be and just sit still. Don't do nothing. Take a nap. Do something." She was practicing us and getting and cultivating us at home. So when we went out in public and she said, "Sit still," we knew what to do. So we wouldn't be outside and cutting up. Because where you cut up is, okay, we'll get to that when we get to the correcting part. So they did the providing. They did guiding. They did um, directing. And now they did some correcting. You know, there were, there were repercussions for exemplifying non-Davis <laughs> behavior. There, there, there were repercussions for it. Some examples, you know, I remember one time, all four of us, we were, we were at a church service. I don't, I don't know what type of church service it was. I think it was like a Saturday or something. We were at um, Fivefold Christian Center, Pastor Juanita Crump, and all four of us was cutting up. Now, that's, that's very rare for all four of us, too. Now, usually you get one of us, usually you get two of us, but all four of us was cutting up at that same time. And mom was like, okay, we're going to have to deal with this when we get home. And she did deal with it. She did not spare that rod, nor did she spoil us. She 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 made us she made sure we knew that fat me was greasy. Another example, you know, of my parent my natural parents correcting me was in fifth grade. I had got my teacher heard me use profanity. Now you know you're in tenth grade, not tenth grade, fifth grade, like ten or eleven years old. So she called my dad. My dad came up to the school. Mind you, my dad works third. My dad at that time worked third shift for General Motors for for so so for somebody to wake him up from his sleep to come to the school because I was acting up. I knew that in my shot how what was about to happen. And they told him what happened. And me and my dad, you know, we're sitting on this bench in the school. He's on one end, I'm on the other. And he's just looking at me like, no, 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 not, not, not trying to make it a color thing, but black people, black parents got that look that just, that just that that just sends a shiver down your spine where you know you about to get it, but so I'm trying to I'm trying not to make eye contact, but I'm trying to see what he's gonna do. I'm like, you know, we inside the school, he probably just gonna tag me when I get home, but that's about it. Next thing I know, I remember, I'm on the ground, gasping, <laughs> gasping for air, and I'm crying, and it was because you know my dad, my dad got these big hands. Kind of muscular. He's been a football coach, baseball coach, basketball coach. Like I said, I was on one end, he was on the other end. And it happened so quick to where he just bah, hit me in my chest. Like he pimp slapped my chest. And I, w- I wasn't ready for that. And I just fell out. And then I look up and he just staring at me. And then after I went home that day, I still got a whooping. So there were correcting moments in my childhood where my parents had to say, you know what? Talking is just not going to be enough. I need to nip this seed in the bud now and crush this acorn seed before it grows into an oak tree. Now, during all these times, I was, I was, I was not ha- always happy during the providing. Uh, I was happy during the providing and the guiding, but the directing and the correcting, I, I didn't like all those things. 
I, I was not happy during each phase of those things. But as I look back now, because I'm transitioning into adulthood, I can look back now and say, you know what? I'm happy with the results. At least a parent should have said amen to that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the results thereof. I'm happy because now I realize that, you know what? My parents trained me well. And it's noticeable. And also, I can see others who haven't been trained well, and it's noticeable as well for them. I can see those who 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 missed out on a couple of whoopings that they should have get, and now they 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 stepping up to their parents, got their chest out, they being disrespectful, and and end up in the back of police cars because they didn't they 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 they, they didn't get that providing, guiding, directing, and correcting during those critical years of their life. Now, both parents are crying about it. And the, per- and the child is crying about it, too, because, you know what, it may not be good at the moment, but the Bible tells us in Romans that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. It may not feel good or it may not look good right now, but it is working for my good. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what, after I read that scripture, I got to the point where I said, you know what, if it's, if it's not good, then it means it's not over yet. It means that God's not finished yet. And now that I'm looking back on all the whoopings, all those corrections and all those those looks I got, you know what? It was worth it because now I'm somebody that I'm proud of. You know what? Now I can go in public and communicate myself and be around different circles and succeed because I had that experience growing up. You know what? I, my parents guided me on manners and things like that. That's why when people in Grand Blank, they know when those Davis boys showing up, they don't show up because we got manners. We know how to conduct ourselves. We know how to act. Our parents direct us. We have our own relationship with the Lord, all four of us. You know, we we, we will say to each other, hey, man, just pray for me. I'm going through this right now. Pray for me, but I'm going through this right now. But we all have a sense of awareness to know that we can pray for ourselves, too, and God will hear us. And we also went through that correcting phase. You know, after a couple of whoopers, we got it down. We, we, we was good. Because after a while, we realized all we needed, <laughs> whenever we, was, we didn't know we was getting too close to the edge or not, all we needed to do was look at this look at this face from mom go to the picture media team all we need to do was see this face from mom if you got the picture put it up for the tv people all we need to do is see that look and we knew <laughs> that's that's all all we need to do is see miss eva look at us like that and we automatically knew it shut it down instantly no matter what it was shut it down because we we just knew She's going to call me about that later on. It's all right. Mom, if you're watching this, I love you. But we, we already knew. So it was, it was during those phases. You know, it didn't feel good all the time, but it did work out for our good. Somebody say amen to that. So that was just a natural perspective. Now let me give you a spiritual perspective, from at least from my perspective, of the spiritual parents who did these things of providing, guiding, directing, and correcting me during um, my life and still to this day. Providing. Pastor David and Apostle Ruby really made sure that I had, they provided different church experiences for me. You know, we just didn't stay, we just didn't, um, we weren't just around, as a kid, we weren't just around black churches. But we we weren't just around um, Church of God churches, you know. I, I had an opportunity to mingle with some white churches, some Caucasian churches. I have opportunities to mingle with Baptists, with Church of God. You know, they provided different experiences because not everybody may have the same beliefs 
that I have, but as long as they're same, serving the same God and doing it and applying his word, the real inspired, truthful, non-failing word, those 66 books, then we can get along with each other. So they provided those different experiences and they guided me as well. You know, um, Pastor David guided me through the Psalmist Training Institute of how to be not just a musician, but how to be a minstrel. How not to just hear a song on the radio and play it, but how to hear a song from heaven and translate it and prophesy it on your instrument. They guided me on how, how to, my mom, and my, Mr. Eva and Pastor David and Pastor Ruby guided me on how to feed people the word of God and not just give them junk food. You know what junk food is, right? You know, every Sunday you hear that. This is your season. God's about to open the door. God's about to do this. Favor, all this stuff is coming over, which is true. But there are times where God is saying something else, and it may not tickle your fancy when I say it, but it is what God is saying at that moment. So they taught me how to be sensitive to God, to know what he is saying in those moments, so I can be a true minister of the gospel. And they also did things, um, they also directed me in things. You know, Pastor David, um, when I think about directing, I think about them giving me some type of level of authority in whatever stage of life I was at. When I was 14, not 14, yeah, well, yeah. 14 years old, Pastor David kind of transitioned and, and made me the worship leader of the praise team. That was him directing me and telling me, okay, this is what I need you to do for this time being. And then as I did good in that, more responsibility came. And then more responsibility came. And then more responsibility came. But they directed me in those things. Now, let me tell you something. It's not always fun being the worship leader. Wow. Shocker. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not always fun having to be the leader and band people together for the common cause. Even if it is something as beautiful and glorious as praising God and worshiping him. It's not always beautiful like that. It's, it, sometimes it's, it's hard. And it, there was areas in the, in the walk that I didn't like, but I was being directed and guided in those areas and I had to walk those things out. And then they also brought correcting. They also brought correction, I'm sorry. They brought correction to me. One time I remember, there was a couple of years ago, Pastor David wasn't senior pastor yet. Um, Apostle still was, and we were still a new generation holding the center. And when Pastor David was preaching, and it came time for the altar call, so you know what? I scattered over there, and I had learned um, There Is a Name by Byron Cage the night before. You know, at 14, 13, 13 14 years old, that's kind of an intermediate song. That's not something you can just pull out your hat, especially if you don't have it all together because of all the modulations and all that stuff. And anyway, while he was ministering, and conveying people to come to Christ and get, and get saved and give their life to Christ, I just kept on hitting the wrong notes. <laughs> I, just, I just kept on hitting the wrong notes and playing the wrong things. And then it just got to the point, you know, one thing Pastor David taught me in the Psalmist, Psalmist Training Institute was that, you know what, as a minister as well, as someone who preached the word, you never just want to, unless you're led by the Holy Spirit, just to go up here and just start singing some random song and thinking that the musicians can back you up. Because everybody may not be at that level of expertise where they can do that. So if so, he, he, he's never done anything like that. And if I mess up every once in a while, he won't look my way because I'm still young. But in this very moment right here, I hit wrong, wrong note. That was just too bad. And if you know anything about Pastor David, when something's not right, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll close one eye. One eye will be open extra large. And then he'll kind of frown his, like, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know. Don't, don't front. You know, Pastor, he looked at me like this in the middle of service, like, 
And then instantly, I was just like, okay, we're switching to another song at this moment. But, and then he talked to me afterwards. He said, you know what? I love you. You're doing good. But during an altar call, during service, that's not the time for you break out new stuff and practice. This is where you're supposed to have stuff. You know, you're supposed to have this like the back of your hand. You're supposed to know it because we're ministering to people. I'm ministering to them with my words, and you're ministering to them with your instrument. But if you're playing wrong and sour notes, you're going to get people out the spirit, and then it's just going to be like. So he, I had correction through those things. I have, I have correction now with um, the things that I'm teaching and preaching. You know, before I go teach and preach, it's a practice of mine that, you know what, I send Pastor David my notes because I'm still growing in wisdom and understanding with the word. I say, okay, I want you to look at this, check it, and let me know if, if this is actually scriptural and this is actually aligned with the word of God and not just something I'm making up. Sometimes he comes back. I think I've had a fire list. I've had some fire principles. He come back and be like, nah, that's not it. Excuse me? I was up till 3 in the morning making this list. What you mean this list ain't right? But this, that's not part of that correction phase that, I, you know, I didn't like at all the time. But as I look at myself from then to now, I can see the fruit thereof because I stuck with it. I can see that I stuck with the correction, I stuck with the guiding, and I stuck with all of it. So you have to understand those things that you are training your children in, those things that you are guiding, directing, and correcting them in. I may not have to say this for y'all because y'all probably don't do that, but don't get, don't, don't get discouraged if they get upset about it. Because, see, some of y'all shaking your head like, oh, oh, they're going to they be all right with it. But I'm, I'm just saying this. For those who are watching, you know what? Don't be discouraged because I'm a product that, you know what? I look back at all the things that my parents did for me, and you know what? I'm happy that they did it. I'm happy that my parents did it natural, spiritual, whatever they did in my life in those three, er in those four areas, I'm sorry, all those things that they did in those four areas made me into who I am today, and I'm still continuously growing. I can look back as John of 2018, I can look back at John in 2017 and say, you know what, I grew, and it was because of the solid foundation that was set before me, and because of me and the Lord walking in his, in, in his word, and him speaking to me and telling me things to do, but it started with that solid foundation first. It started with my parents and um, all those who are around me, all those parental figures setting the pace. Somebody say amen to that. So we, we, so we talked about the young children. Now we're going to go into number five, transitioning, transitioning sorry, children to adulthood. The scripture we have for that is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. And it says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. For there will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Another scripture I want to give you is Proverbs 4, chapter 10, verse through 14. And it says, hear, my son, and receive my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. So there's something, there, there, are two, there are some very important things in these two passages that we read. It started off in verse 8 of Proverbs 1. It said, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Hear the instruction of your father. And then in Proverbs 4.10, it said, 
hear my son, hear what I'm saying, and receive my sayings to you. See, because now when it came to children, we were just talking about young children. See, in children, you, you were to parents, you know, parents had to enforce and correct during that stage. But when it came to sons, as we're talking about now, they were asked to receive treasure and regard correction with the promise of what it would do to their life. See, because at this, at this point, especially with me, um, Ruby, you know what, and those who are 18 and up and who are in this college experience right now, this is a weird transition because the relationship with spiritual and natural parents have went from them telling us to now them suggesting to us. From them from telling, <laughs> them from telling us. <laughs> Ooh, hallelujah on that one. Them telling us to them suggesting to us. You know what? It's weird because this, this, this transition happened faster than what we expected. You know, um, in 2016, when I was transitioning from high school to go to college, it was a little difficult at first. You know, the first semester of college was, was a little touch and go at first because four months ago, as a senior in high school at 18 years old, I had to raise my hand and ask for permission if I could use the restroom. But now I'm in college Four months later, now I'm at a university where they could care less if they couldn't care less if I'm in the classroom or not, as long as my parents' money is there for the the tuition. So you know, this 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 was a difficult this was a difficult trans transition at first because you know what I'm growing into my own. I'm I'm, I'm now taking this walk of life, and my parents are still here, but you know what they 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 kind of stepped aside and let me make my own decisions now. And some decisions. You know, I did real good. I said, hey, I did that thing right there. And other ones was like, I, I kind of burned myself on it. But this is, that's part of the transitioning from child to adulthood. Taking the information, taking the teachings that our parents have given us in this time and applying them to our life and then walking them out and seeing God open doors and do things that, they, that our parents said that he would. But we have to make sure that during this transition point that now I'm talking to those who are transitioning from child from childhood to adulthood. We have to make sure that we are listening to our parents now. We are listening to our parents now and not listening just to respond to them, but listening to um <laughs> listening to understand where they're coming from and understand what they're saying to us. Because they've been down this road before. They they've they've been at this stage in their life before. So it would be wise for us, like I said in the scripture, it said, I have taught you in the way of wisdom, and I have led you in the right path. It would be wise for us to take the teachings of our parents and walk them out because, you know what, if they did it in their life and they have fruit from it, then we should expect some fruit from our lives as well if we adhered and we submit to the teachings that they gave us and apply them as we are transitioning to adulthood. Somebody say amen to that. And then also while we're transitioning from childhood to adulthood, you know, we have to recognize, me and Ruby recognize this because we've graduated high school, but to the other young people in here, you're going you're gonna to recognize that some of those around you who may have graduated high school did not leave high school. A parent could say amen to that too, right? Y'all see that at these class reunions. See, some people who have graduated high school haven't left high school. You know what? I have 
I have group chats with my boys and things like that. You know what? We'll reminisce and be like, hey, man, you remember when this happened in high school? You remember when this happened during football practice? You know, all that, all that's fun every once in a while. But every time I talk to you, you're talking about the heyday of high school. It's like, did you, did you leave? Are you still there? And, you, and, and you'll have to realize that, you know what? You'll be talking to people after you graduate and be like, you know what? I think you got held back. <laughs> you still in high school. You got held back. It's, it's, it's okay. You'll, you'll get out eventually, but you clearly have been held back a little bit. Because, you know, we got to have this mindset that, you know what? I'm transitioning. That's why, I call, that's why we call it transition. Transitioning from childhood to adulthood. When I was a child, thought as a child, I did as a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things away. There's a big epidemic now with people my age, you know, I see people my age going to high school parties. I'm just, I'm, I'm baffled. They're, they're 20 years old. They're juniors, seniors. Some of us even graduated high school, what, college. Like, why are we going to high school parties still? Like, that that day is over. Not saying we can't go out. Not saying that we can't have fun. But like, we're grown now. We're, we're we're transitioning to adulthood. We like, you got work the next day, but you hanging out all through the night till two or three in the morning. Like, you got class the next day and you hanging out till two or three in the morning. It's just okay. We're transitioning to adulthood. At some point, your priorities have to kick in and say, you know what? I can't do this now. But it's okay because I'm doing something towards my future. I'm doing things that's going to enhance me and make my future a lot more pleasurable. It may not be fun right now, but it's going to be, it's, see, because it wasn't fun when I was getting the whoopers and stuff like that back then. But now I'm glad because I have learned some respect. I have learned some honor. I have learned what and what not to do in this world. So just like it may not be fun to have to say no to the friends and things like that now, it's going to be okay because years down the road, I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't go to this party. I'm glad um, I kind of distanced myself from these people, and I'm glad that I stayed on this narrow path of getting my education and going to work and doing whatever it is that I had to do because now adulthood is fun. Somebody say amen to that. And then the last scripture I want to give you is Proverbs 22, verse 28. It says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. You know, it's very important that there were a lot of things that my parents, um, both natural and spiritual, taught me that I'm making sure that, you know, as I get older, that I don't neglect those teachings that they gave to me. I don't, I don't neglect the knowledge that they have poured into my life. And that's what, that's what we have to make sure that we do as those who are transitioning to adulthood that, you know what, I don't drop the teachings that my parents have given me. There's no reason for me to go buy a lesson that they already paid for. There's no reason for me to start at ground zero when my parents had already started at ground zero and gave me the revelation and the information that they had, and I'm just supposed to if they stop right here, I'm supposed to take their information and then build and go all the way up. I'm not supposed to start from the bottom. I don't have to. I have a strong, solid foundation. But if I remove the teaching, if I remove the ancient landmarks that I wish they have set, then I run the risk of getting lost and starting over again and having to hit the reset button on my life. 
So here are some here are some key principles for parents. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some key principles for some parents. Put that up on the screen. Um, number one, <laughs> you have to keep disciplining us, talking about your children, during the young child stage, regardless of what the times may look like, because if you don't get us early, we'll both be crying later. Oh, there's a lot of amens on that one. Hallelujah. See, you 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 have to you have to keep disciplining. Now 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 that doesn't mean whoop us every time we do something or every time you feel the energy to do so. But that does mean disciplining us and guiding us in the right way, whether we like it or not. Because you know, as parents who have experience, who have been in our position before, that it will it, it'll it'll be better if we take this path and instead of us doing our own things and taking our own little detour and doing our own way. So that's the first one. The second one is during this transition, stay with us, not over us. See, because at this time, at this time, you know, when we were a kid, you guys taught us how to walk using our feet. But now we're learning how to walk life right now at this stage, transitioning to adulthood. See, you have to let us learn how to ride the bike, but stay close enough and offer assistance in case we start to lean over to one side too much. You know, we're, we're, we, you, you, you got to take the training wheels off the bike and let us ride. Stay close to catch us just in, just in case, but stay, stay, uh, stay back and give us a little distance to make those decisions and we don't feel like you hovering over us looking like, what you doing? Amen? Amen. Third one. It's okay to apologize and admit your shortcomings. You know that's that's a big that's a that's a big thing that my generation we, we we feel like our parents have never like they they never apologize to us. They never say sorry. They never admit when they do stuff wrong. You <laughs> had this joke in high school. You want to know, and I can only speak for African American parents because that's the only parents I had. Do you want to know? <laughs> do you want to know how African American parent, African American parents apologize? You hungry? <laughs> you want something to eat? <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't. You know what? I'm sorry. You know what? I may have been too harsh, or I may have misjudged. I may have thought it was one thing, but now I realize it was another thing. I'm, you hungry? Come on, let's go get something to eat. So it's okay to apologize and admit your shortcomings. It doesn't make us devalue you or value you less in any way. It make it actually it honestly makes us, you know what, I'm more comfortable around my parents. They're open and they're honest with me. They've opened that door of transparency to say, you know what? I am weak in this area. I do have shortcomings in this area. So when we have issues or when we have some shortcomings or there's something that we need to talk about, we're more open to talking to you because you've opened that line of communication for us. Somebody say amen to that. And then the last one. If you've created a monologue atmosphere for the last 18 years, dialogue conversation will not occur naturally. Now, and, and you, you that's something you really must cultivate, you really must cultivate a dialogue culture during the young child phase, because if not, your child will get hurt during the transition to adulthood phase, and instead of coming to you for help, they'll rather bleed out than receive a lecture. Just, you know, and, you know, 
you know, as as young adults, you know, we we talking stuff like that. It's like, you know what? Somebody tells we have they're having an issue with this, that, and the other. We like, yo, man, go talk to your parents. I don't want to talk to my parents because it's just it's just going to be a one sided conversation. Now, I'm not saying during the young child phase you need to let them tell y'all what have a say in what we're going to do in the house or things like that. But you know, if there's a situation or something like that. Okay, let me get their perspective of what happened. Let me not just take the one sided story I may have seen or received from somebody else, but let me. Let me let me get their side of the story. Let me let me see why they did what they did. Let me ask them and see where their mind is at right now. And we can talk back and forth and get an understanding. Because if I grow up with all this monologue, you just barking at me, telling me this, that, and the other, and then I get older and something happens and you like everything all right, every time I'm going to say to you, every time you ask me that, I'm going to say, yep, everything all right. Right. I'm not going to open myself for that dialogue conversation because it's been a monologue for the last 18 years. So to open that line of communication, we have to we have to have dialogue in the house, especially during these years. Um, The young children, I would say dialogue conversation needs to start happening between, you know, those teenage years when we first start 13 to 18. And then once we get to this transition to adulthood where we're 18 and older in college and stuff like that, we're more open to being able to have those difficult conversations with you because the atmosphere was already set five plus years ago. Amen? So um, those were the key principles for the parents. And let me give you these key principles for those transitioning to adulthood. Key principles for transients. Number one, Remove not the life lessons received from your parents. Learn from what they did and did not do. We as children, we learn from the things that our parents did and did not do. The things that they did do good and the things that they didn't do good. The things that they did do and the things that, the things that we wish they would have done. We learn from those. So learn from those things and make it in your mind, you know what? I like how dad or mom did this. So I'm going to do that when it's my time to have children. It's my time when I'm, when I'm raising my seed in my generation and things like that. Things like that. But there's also things where I didn't like how mom did that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like how dad did that. I didn't like how dad didn't talk to me about that. I didn't like how dad um, pushed that conversation to the side. I don't, I don't like how dad dealt with me when this situation in my life came up. I'm going to make sure that I do something different. We have to make sure that we remove not the life lessons that we've learned from them, the good and the bad, because we can make adjustments as time goes on on how we'll be able to talk to our children and things like that when that time comes. And then you have to be aware of those who try to stray you away from what you've been taught. There's, you know, there's people who, and people came to, have come up to me and stuff like that, people I've been cool with in high school and college and things like that, like, man, you ain't got to do all that. So I step back. Just say, hmm, okay. Let's check out. Let's see. Let's see my fruit. And let's check your fruit. I see apples, oranges, and grapes. On your side, I see weeds <laughs> and destruction. Hmm. It kind of it, it, it don't add up. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with this. You know, you, you got to check their fruit and check your fruit at the same time. Check it by the word of God. And then the second one, ask for guidance. You know, we're, we're going through this. We're going through this phase and we're transitioning and we have a lot of questions. 
not that our educational system in school is wrong, but they didn't teach us everything that we need to know about life. When I left high school, I had no knowledge of how credit worked. I had no knowledge of how to pay bills. I had no knowledge about car notes, mortgages, how to balance a checkbook. You know, you know they had like finance classes and things like that, but it wasn't mandatory. You know, like um, algebra is mandatory. English is mandatory. History is mandatory. Thank God you know your history. Well, the selective history that they tell us, but thank God you know that. But it's not mandatory to know about how to budget, how to save your money, how to um, what, what to do with investments, the difference between a bank and a credit union. They, they didn't teach us none of that. So we're going to be coming to youth parents asking those questions. But as young people, we have to make sure that we're not afraid to ask our parents. But that goes back to that monologue and dialogue atmosphere. If that dialogue atmosphere is not set to where we can have a, have a conversation and not a one-man play where only one person is talking the entire time is going to tell the difference on whether we open up and ask for, the, ask for guidance, though we do need it during this time. The third one, maintain continuous honor and respect towards them. That's one thing that you heard me talk about earlier that my generation really struggles with is honoring their parents and having respect towards them. I went to school, and people was literally cussing their parents out, not behind their backs, but in front of them, in front of us, too. I was like, child, please. <laughs> Look, you know, you know what the funny thing, sidebar, you know what the funny thing is? You ever had that, that instance where a kid, you, you was in public and you saw a kid cutting up and your parent just instantly got mad at you and said, you better not. Like, I didn't do nothing. I'm just, <laughs> I'm out of my own business. But it, it, it put that fear inside of us to always have respect and honor towards them. Now, may not do everything that they like, but still maintain biblical honor and respect towards them for the things that they have done in our lives. And then the fourth one, seek God's voice like never before. We're at this point where our parents' prayers have been covering us from this time up, from children in the womb once, we found, once they found out they were pregnant, to babes and sucklings, to the young children, to now transitioning to adulthood. And our parents' prayers still cover us. Don't, don't get it twisted. Their prayers still reach heaven, and God still moves and acts on those prayers, but he's more interested in our own prayers for ourselves. We, like, we, like I said earlier, we have to be able to have our own relationship with God as we're making this transition. You know what? I have people who um, say, like, you know what, John, I need you to pray for me and stuff like that. And, you know, I ain't got no we, – we, we just went through a whole series for about three months or so, four months or so, about intercessory prayer. I have no issue with praying for people. But are you praying for yourself? Are you seeking God and asking him about the things that you're asking me to pray for? Because God going to listen to my prayers, but he's more interested in hearing from you during this time, especially as you're making this transition where you're not leaning on your parents, but you're leaning on your relationship with God at this time. And then finally, number five, become a builder of the family name. We read in Proverbs as um, the son was transitioning to adulthood um, in Proverbs, it said that my son, hear the instruction of your father. It talked about hear my son and receive my sayings. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. And we understand that um, the word son translated in the Hebrew 
um, builder of the family name. So when we talk about become a builder of the family name during this transition, we mean build on top of relationships, build repairs, build on previous revelation, and build replicas. Now, I build on relationships. You know, there are some doors that parents open up for us. There are some doors that they open up for us because of the relationships and the connections that they have with people. And as a son, and as I'm making this transition, is my objective. You know what? I may not talk to that person as much or have their they phone number, stuff like that, but I do maintain some type of honor and some type of communication with them because you never know when you're going to need that connection. So I need to build on top of those relationships. There's relationships that my parents have had with adults and people like that, not, where at first they knew me as Shelton and Eva's son, but now they know me as John because I already cultivated my own relationship with them outside of the relationship that they had with my parents because I build on top of the relationships that were set before me. So I build on the relationships. And then I build repairs. You know, the Bible talks about us being the repairs of the breach. Build up the foundation of the old waste places. There are certain things that may be in your family's bloodline, whether it be a generational curse or a generational, generational iniquity, that at that point I'm supposed to build repairs and build something up to where I build up guards in my life and build up um, systems in my life so I don't fall into that same trap. So I'm supposed to build repairs and make sure that, you know what, granddad deal with this, mama deal with this, uncle deal with this, but I'm, I've, I've heard their testimonies. I've heard their stories of how they fell into it, and I'm going to take the knowledge that they have given me and build up areas in my life so I don't fall into that same temptation that they did and so that generational thing can stop with me. So I build on relationships. I build repairs, and I build on previous revelation. When Elijah... Um, when Elijah got in his chariot and went into heaven, you remember Elijah, you know, he, he, he threw down his mantle and he split in water for him and Elisha to walk through. So when Elijah went to heaven, Elisha went to that same brook of water, threw down Elijah's mantle and the water split for him the same way that it did his spiritual father. What do I mean by building on top of revelation? There's no reason why I have to start at ground zero. My natural parents, spiritual parents, whatever the case may be, I build on where they stopped at, and I continue to grow so I can, have to, I can have more to give to the next generation. Apostle Ruby had more revelation on the word than her parents had, and she, started, she, she got more revelation than her parents had. Pastor David is moving more on revelation than Apostle Ruby had, and as he is teaching me, I'm expecting one day that I'm going to rise above the revelation that he had, because we're continually growing. We're building on the family name. We're not, we're not starting from ground zero. We're building on the family name. And then we build relationships, we build repairs, we build on previous, um, previous revelation, and you build replicas. The foundational truths of the word of God and just um, the manners and things that I have, I'm not just keeping all that information to me. I'm teaching all those who are around me who want to learn. 
I'm not just keeping all this information to myself. If I see a brother or somebody who's getting off course, if they allow me to, to minister to them in some way, shape, or form, or, hey, man, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that, then I'm building replicas at that time of what has been instilled inside of me and teaching it to other people. So they can have a relationship with God, and so God can be able to minister to them, and so that can, they, so that they can do what they need to do when when it concerns what their destiny path that God has for their life. It's not just about me getting all these relationships, um, building repairs, and stopping generational iniquities. It's not just about me getting more revelation than my forefathers had. It's also about me replicating that. Not just changing my family and our bloodline, but changing somebody else's family and bloodline. I got friends who are right now, you know what? I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, little, I'm a little further in my Christian walk than they are right now. So they ask me questions. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm giving them the same answers that Pastor David has given me. And I believe one day when they have children, they're going to be given the same answers that I gave them, they're going to give their children. And it's going to pass on and pass on. Why? Because we're building replicas of real men and women. We're not just we're, we're not just going to hold all this for ourselves. We're going to we're going to share the wealth and dis, and, dis, and distribute the information that God has given us. Somebody say amen to that. So did the word bless you on tonight? Amen. Amen.